Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Templeton Elliott, and I'm joined this week by Maddie Hazlett and Jason from Frozen Carbonite to talk about a couple of things going down in San Francisco. The city is using skateboarders to sweep out undesirables from Union Plaza by building a new skate park there. A mile and a half down Market Street is EMB, where the latest Thrasher cover was shot. The cover is somewhat controversial. It features Venture TM Ducky Kovacs taking a new route at an iconic spot, dropping in on Valancourt Fountain at the iconic EMB Plaza. Jason, is this a cover-worthy maneuver? Well, yeah, listen, just putting all my sub-genre preferences to the side, I mean, you guys know I'm, I prefer like the ledge tech side of things. Yeah, this cover really isn't my cup of tea for a few reasons. One, I think uh, sequence covers are kind of gimmicky and corny. To just the trick, A, being a drop-in, B, the fact that they he didn't even land it, just seems kind of like lizard brain, a lowest common denominator kind of thing. Like it, It's kind of like how non-skaters imagine skating, just like falling all over the place. Kind of like that one video that uh, Zach Harris made, Shout out Zach Harris that depicted like how non-skaters use skaters were kind of just like throwing their board, yelling, uh, you know, falling all over the place. Not my cup of tea. How about you, Maddie? Where do you fall on this one? I think I'm actually on the the complete other side of the spectrum from Jason. I mean, I understand that it is very uh, different than maybe what we've seen, but I thought it was just kind of fun and lighthearted and still kind of gnarly and kind of lived in this nice little zone where it's like not taking itself too serious it's just a drop in and a guy falling in water but still like super gnarly i mean frankly the guy's kind of lucky i don't think that fountain's more than maybe two or three feet deep so i don't think that water really like uh helped his fall all that much and yeah i think it was interesting it made people talk it made people engage on social media and it did the job of like what a publication cover was supposed to do it made people want to look at it more and if that's for a positive or for a negative sometimes both can be just as powerful and there's actually uh, a twitter user worm girl for those on skater skate twitter i'm sure you guys follow her i messaged her earlier today and asked if it was cool if i quoted one of her tweets in regards to the cover and she said i like the thrasher cover because it's funny stupid fun and a little bit gross which is how I think of skateboarding. And I thought that was a really nice way to like kind of sum it up and how I was feeling on it too, of just like, it is just like skating. Like you walk around and you're like, oh my God, what if someone dropped in on that? (laughs) And then someone actually did. And I think maybe to Jason's point, like the execution is a little strange. Like the sequence in one frame is always something that can be really good when done well. And maybe this wasn't the best at at executing that. Although I don't know how you would have showed it without without the uh, sequence. Um, yeah, I think you got to have the sequence. Otherwise, it's like... It's just a it, splash of water. <laughs> that would be funny. But I was thinking <laughs> otherwise, it comes across as trying to claim like it was a make. That's true. Yeah, it's just like him dropping in halfway and you're like, oh my God, instead he like kind of fell off. But yeah, I totally hear what Jason's saying. And I totally understand why people would be bummed on it because it is so different and maybe not like up to the quote-unquote standards that a magazine like Thrasher should have, but I found it fun and enjoyable in its own right. Templeton, what about you? Where do you land? Are you somewhere between Jason and I's extreme sides? Uh, I, I mean, I started out on Jason's side and ended up on your side, Maddie. Like, when I first saw it, I was like, fuck, it's like a, a bale. 
uh, on the cover. Like that's that's pretty lame. And then the more I thought about it and like really looked at the looked at the photo and like I looked up the size. It's 40 feet tall. Like dropping it on something that's 40 feet tall is insane. I just started to appreciate it more and more as like a you know kind of like what Worm Girl said. It's like funny and stupid and a little bit gross and that's kind of what skating is. And I think that it's cool that it's not like the pinnacle of skateboarding, I guess. You know, it's like you could imagine like your dumbest friend doing this or like, you know, whatever big crazy sculpture there is in your ta- your hometown. You can imagine your dumbest friend <laughs> trying this. And I don't know. That's kind of fun. Yeah. If you were going to do it without the sequence, I, I think you have two options. You could either do the photo with him just like, you know, at the top, kind of getting ready to drop in or writing down it. And if you do that with him writing down it, then, you know, sometimes they put a sequence of the cover, like in the contents page. Then yeah. they, maybe they, then maybe they could put the sequence in the contents page, you know. I'm just um, thinking out loud. Which, But um, what Maddie mentioned, I'm just going to piggyback off of that. She mentioned, you know, it's everything a good cover is. Well, what, what exactly makes a good cover? I would venture to say that there's, you know, traditionally a Thrasher cover, like it, you don't have to do the techest, most pushing the limits trick to have a good cover. Like the, the way I see it, a good cover can either be a, you know, pushing the limits, you know, like I just said, or telling a story, and or just have crazy aesthetics. For example, the TJ Subway Station Ollie, right? That tells a story plus. Plus, did he have a cover with the kickflip? I know he kickflipped it, but did he get a cover with that? I think the cover is the kickflip. Oh, shit. All right. Let's see. I'm, I'm in the, yeah, in the cover archive right now. Yeah, it's a kickflip. Oh, shit. Well, yeah, because that tells the story. You got the subway station, everyone looking. You know, the recent one, Kalos at Muni, just because of the nighttime and the buildings and the colors and everything. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm a traditionalist, but... That's what what I think a good cover is. Either you're doing something that pushes the limits, like um, Antonio Durao's Switch 360s and those ones just this year, or something that kind of tells a story and is or and or is just you know, super sick aesthetically. Then you got non-skate covers, which is kind of a different thing to do later. Maddie, what makes a good cover for you? I mean, I think you can look at it two ways. My editorial career background says the one that sells the most magazines. Unfortunately, sometimes I think that's where we are, especially in the decline of print media. It's like they want to create these striking covers that do maybe even cause controversy on purpose so that they drum up attention. Because if they're just only putting out the same thing and it's just like gnarly, gnarly or like whatever it is every month, then people might lose engagement and stop. I don't think they stop subscribing, but this could maybe bring in new people who who weren't looking at it or even just boost their online space. But in terms of what I think personally makes a good cover is just something that I think Jason touched on it quite a bit. I think it's what tells a story. I mean, that story can be a really gnarly trick or that story can be like a fun day where they did this silly drop in and had a good time. And I think it's also maybe a important to be cognitive of like what's happening in the scene that that publication is for. And I think this cover shows that. I think this is kind of a reaction to what we see in skating right now. Skating has been so serious and Thrasher has been even more serious for the majority of its of its life. And seeing them take something that's 
kind of breaking the rules and not taking itself as serious, I think is both fun for them and also maybe a smart move because it's aligning itself with this new direction of skating that is not as serious, that is fun. People are doing quote unquote illegal tricks. People are not following the status quo. And I think this cover aligns with that perfectly. And I think that's why to me, it's so strong and does a good job because it is both conversation starting and also um, representative of the folks that are in that community. And I've hoped that they do more like this. I think it's one of those things that you can't keep doing because it loses its value, but having things that aren't just like the gnarliest trick that someone shot that month or whatever, I think is really, really cool, especially with one mag. I mean, we have small publications, but really there's one big mag and we lose a little bit of that diversity. So it's fun to see them do do more of it for sure. Yeah, it really is a shame that there really is only one magazine. Free Skate is out there and their covers are almost always really, really cool. But yeah, it's like there's really only one cover that gets a lot of attention and that's Thresher. And it's nice that they're doing something interesting with that real estate. And you mentioned that it's it gets the conversation going. And I did a little rudimentary internet research on Instagram to see how this cover compares with the others from like a social analytics perspective. And this cover has got 84,000 likes and 1,100 comments. Uh, the Tom Knox cover, second most popular, is 66,000 likes, 643 comments. So it's like way, way, it gets way better metrics than the other covers. Yeah, like, I mean, that's the world we live in, right? Like, numbers don't lie. Like, you know, whatever creates the most engagement, you know, wins. So there you go. I mean, the Tom Knox cover is also kind of in this similar vein, like someone kind of doing something different, kind of crazy, you know? So it's yeah, and those two are the top two. Yeah, and b- before Tom Knox, we've got Miles Silvis, 20, 29,000 likes, Nora with 34,000, and Shanahan with uh, 28,000. So the covers were kind of hovering in the 30,000 range until Tom Knox and Ducky, which blew the doors off it. So yeah, it's kind of like if you give them something to talk about, they're going to talk. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that goes for all the different facets of types of covers we've talked about uh, Templeton with the, if you give them something to talk about, they'll talk one, another cover. It's not Thrasher that kind of comes to mind is I believe it was Matt Price's photo with the trash can. And he kind of like put the camera inside the trash can and shot up. I believe oh, it was yeah, black and white. Cover. Yeah. And that's like another one that's always kind of stuck out. And I think what that one did really well, which is this under the same idea, but in a different direction and maybe received more positively was the aesthetic and the composition and the the way it was approached is why it was talked about so much, not necessarily the trick, but I think both of them accomplished the same thing. And I think that's really interesting that skateboarding is one of those things where just the subject matter even if it's the same to a layman's person, right? Like any person looking at that cover is like, that's just as sick as whatever. But I think it's cool that that can actually start the same kind of conversation. Cause I feel like we're seeing that same level of interest in a cover as we were with that Matt Price photo. And one is just like 
objectively a very strong image. And this one is maybe not even the strongest image if you're looking at it from a photo standpoint, right? It was, it's pretty standard. It's just like, all right, here's the whole thing. Here it happened. And I think it's cool that the subject can actually push that just as much as the way you do it. I think a uh, question for Jason is, do you think the Matt Price cover is more successful in your eyes than this cover because of that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, first of all, shout out closer, uh, eagerly awaiting the next 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 issue uh, in my mailbox. But yeah, I think it, it, a because it's interesting aesthetically. I mean, the trick is you know isn't the craziest thing in the world, but just you know the angle from the middle of the uh, trash can is interesting aesthetically, for, just from like an, a visual standpoint. So yeah, that's a, that's how I would answer that question. So do you think that the Thrasher cover would have been more successful? if it was shot differently do you think that that's maybe the hang-up or do you think it's just because it was a bail and it was essentially an unlandable trick oh yeah yeah you... just, yeah just because it was a bail and it was like along those lines um you know i watched the video give this podcast i guess the thrasher whatever whatever they put together and like yeah you talk about the, there's like chunks of like rough concrete going like across the runway i guess as it were it's just like it's impossible and, and unmakeable yeah. Right. Like uh, even if there wasn't water. Yeah. Even if the yeah. <laughs> he either have to have a just super soft wheels or like I don't know or like ollie each of those little concrete strips on the way down, which insane. You'd like feel weightless. Or, yeah, but I don't even think like I don't even if the sculpture was smooth, I don't think it's landable. Like I don't think that oh, you yeah. can go yeah, that no. fast and then ride away. Like you know, you're going. I don't know how fast you're probably going. Like. 20 miles an hour almost straight into the ground like i doubt a board would survive that yeah that's what i was gonna say i think if there was concrete you would just your board would explode right it would be like a like a bobby warrist ollieing canadian situation and the truck's gonna go through the middle of the board yeah exactly like yeah. you'd be lucky if that's all if that's what happened yeah totally going back to what maddie said before about you know this style of cover reflecting greater macro change in skating yeah just getting ready for this podcast you know like templeton i was you know flipping through the thrasher cover archives and from 2000 to 2010 just about every single cover was either some gnarly handrail some crazy stair set like some flip trick down x amount of stairs or some hubba and it's funny like at the time it's kind of like hair metal you know in, in the hair metal era we thought like oh the, you know this is it this is the best it's you know and the coolest is just going to keep going on forever. And then boom, like, you know, it all came crashing down or whatever. And this, this is kind of similar. Like in that era, we thought like, all right, this is the progression era thing. You know, people just going to be more stairs, gnarly rails, whatever. And then like, what happened? Like cherry, you know, polar and bronze and all that stuff. So you never know. You never know when there's going to be that kind of shift in the cult, in any culture, I guess. It's pretty funny. Yeah. I, I feel like every year Thrasher puts like a, or in the, in the 2000s, there would be like, a few covers there was like a, a ramp trick that's like you know the the best transition skater in your town could probably pull off yeah this year it's all pretty heavy do you guys have a favorite era of those even have to be thrasher but covers do you think now is the best that we're seeing for covers or do you think there was a different time that was doing something maybe cooler and more indicative of what was happening in the scene Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, that first run of Big Brother, like the first 13 issues or whatever. Yeah, I mean, they were doing like really interesting stuff with Big Brother in the very beginning. Like just 
everything was non-standard. Yeah, they yeah they came up with like a different uh, size every single issue. It was crazy. It was just like total creativity. So, yeah, they yeah, were the ones that were doing like the reverse, so it'd be like a horizontal mag, right? I mean, Big Brother was definitely before my time with skate media, but I feel like I've seen them before. They're the ones that were like a horizontal sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, or like one of them was like spiral bound. One of them came in like a cereal box. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, yeah, one of them. Yeah, they, he always had some like, Arago tried to always have some knickknack. Like one of them came with like trading cards. One of them came with like a cassette tape that was like prank call. One side was prank calls. One side was a Shiloh Great Ass interview. So yeah, it was crazy. It was it was uh, way different from Thrasher at the time or Trans yeah. World, of course. I think the only one I remember is, I think it was a day one cover. Was there an early Big Brother that was a day one cover and he was maybe doing, like, skating like a bank, bank to ledge? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, I don't remember yeah. what trick he was doing. Yeah, I remember that one. That one was sick. Yeah, he was skating the barrel banks. And they also had the one with, like, Rick Howard where they painted the whole inside of the World Park red and he was painted red and doing a heel flip or some shit. It was crazy. Yeah, it's interesting looking at the, the Thrasher cover archive and just thinking a lot of these are kind of forgettable. Like, I, I think that they're of their time, you know, like when you get it that month, you're like, holy shit. But I think a lot of the Thrasher covers don't really stand the test of time. And I, I think that's true of just a lot of the photos in the mag. Like I got my hands on some old skate magazines and there's just like a lot of forgettable stuff in there. I, I think that nostalgia makes us think that it's just like you know every page of every magazine was just like the most iconic shit but there was a lot of just like mediocre photos getting put put out there at the time yeah well thinking about doing a monthly publication monthly like 200 page publication or whatever 150 is crazy like pulling all that together so you know yeah in the early 2000s transworld was like 400 pages which is absolutely insane Really? Like, literally? Literally 400 like, Literally, yeah. How, how was that even po- possible? Well, I guess if it was, like, 200 times 2. Yeah, I mean, a lot of yeah, ads. A lot I was going to say, tours. it has to be, like, 60% ads. A lot of t- tour articles. <laughs> yeah, they had, they had crazy, they had ads for, like, the Army and Milk. They, th- that, was the good, that was the good old days of skate media. For sure, yeah. Do you guys have a favorite cover from, from this year, if it's not the current one? Because I'm looking at all of them right now. And I feel like this year is actually, in comparison, a pretty strong year. Yeah, there's some year. good. There's some good covers. Do you guys have a favorite? I think. Uh, I think the maybe the John Shanahan cover, just because it looks so crazy with like the big chess piece and the buildings going up and everything. But like, damn, there's some good ones. Like the Miles Silvis one is gnarly. Um, the Antonio one is crazy. There's been a bunch, dude. Yeah, I think the Muni one's definitely one of my favorites. It's also shot at night, and I think that looks it like he pops so nice off of it either that or the tom Knox. i think those are the nora one's good too but i think those other two are are just really strong photographically yeah i think the shanahan cover is probably my favorite i also like the uh austin gillette switch 360 flip over yeah, the fire hydrant yeah, yeah that one's sick mm-hmm. i think it's overall inter- like um no, I'm, go ahead tell me it's interesting to see looking at them all together and None of them are only the Am Scramble has like text on the cover other than the title of the magazine. So there's a lot of kind of dead space in the bottom half. You know, all of them, I think, have the skater crossing over the title. 
and then there's a lot of open space at the bottom. So that that's why I think I like the Shanahan cover and the Austin Gillette cover because we got a little bit of something to look at in the rest of the frame. Yeah, I, I was actually going to say something along the same lines. But like overall, I think non-text colors are way cooler. I agree, and I remember when we interviewed Alex Papke, he was he he kind of made it feel like it was a big deal that there was no text on the on his cover. That was the uh, Evan Smith uh, Bridge Ollie cover, which was pretty fucking epic. Yeah, at, yeah. At the time, I'm just kind of scrolling through the archives again. At the time, just about every cover had text on, which is only like two years ago. Right. Yeah, it's interesting to kind of scroll through and watch the evolution of a, the magazine cover. So listeners, there's going to be a link to the Thrasher magazine cover archive, and I highly, highly recommend scrolling through it. Yeah, a lot of them have the full issue as well, which is crazy. I think they're like, oh, I think they're like working their way forward chronologically. Like the ones from like 1988 have like the full issue, including all the ads and stuff, which is cool to look at. And I think they're like working their way up or something like that. Yeah, it's pretty rad. Well, uh, we can uh, head up Market Street to the UN Plaza if you guys are ready. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Yeah, San Francisco opened a new skate park this week at UN Plaza, not so much as a gift to skaters, but as a way to activate UN Plaza, a supposed open-air drug market, and make it a more hospitable place for residents. Maddie, what do you think about the idea of using skaters to change a space? Yeah, that's a a complicated question. I kind of want to preface with the fact that I am not an expert in urban planning or an expert in any of the majority of topics that I'm about to go over. This is the thoughts of a skateboarder interacting with kind of what's happening. But I think it's really just half of the battle. I think cities love this idea of updating places and displacing the bad. I know that happens where I live a lot. They will shut a park down that has too many in-house folks and throw all their stuff away and kick them out. And it, quote unquote, cleans the park up for a few months and then kind of everyone comes back in. And I almost feel as maybe that's what's happening here. And they're using uh, skateboarding as a way to fill out the space in a in hopes that that doesn't come back. I think as any city planner or person in a local government would see skateboarders are one of the few communities that actively use space almost all day long right it doesn't matter where you live even your local skate park generally has folks there all the time i think that in comparison to other public spaces skateboarding is actually one of the most well utilized ones that are kind of given so maybe that's why they thought oh this could be a way to kind of bring people who will be here a lot and quote unquote, push out the undesirable folks who were previously occupying this space. But I think that maybe is going to work a little, but probably not. I would have liked to see some additional things that went along with it. It's awesome to make a space more usable by the public, but then to not have anything that goes along with maybe like increased addiction help or increased funding for unhoused folks or things like that. I think if they had rolled out this new space with that, it maybe would feel a little bit better. But right now, it, it feels a little bit half-baked and not something that I think skateboarders and building a skate park can really, really change. What about you guys? Where do you fall on this complicated issue? Yeah, well, just like Maddie, I'm going to preface what I'm going to by saying that, look, I'm just some guy who has a, who's on a skateboarding podcast. I'm not an expert in 
urban planning or geopolitics or international economic or anything like that. I'm just a guy who does some rudimentary internet research before I you know, jump on the podcast every week. That being said, this looks like the one of the best fucking parks I've ever seen. Like, A, there's lots of open space. B, there's straight fucking ledges everywhere. C, there's that uh, Republic thing. Like, I saw on some website, like, they tried to replicate different things, like the Rip Oblique sculpture, like the old Safeway curb, like the hydrant that James Kells allied over, whatever. It's crazy. I mean, yeah, it's totally insane. It's like nothing in the U.S. that I've ever uh, that I've ever seen. That being said, if you think the government, like any government, like city, international, state, city, state, national, is like down for skaters and has you know our best interests at heart. You are insane. Like, there's a whole thing behind it. Like, I think, like Maddie said in the notes, they're trying to get ready for this APEC conference, the Asian Pacific Economic Cooperation. And, like, um, what is on the APEC website, it says that, uh, you know, the APEC member economies, which I guess is all the countries Pacific, including Asia and North America, have nearly 40% of the global population, nearly 50% of global trade. 60 percent of u.s exports and additionally these economies have made impressive direct investments in the united states that's made 1.7 trillion dollars so we're talking trillions of dollars are like at stake so ostensibly they think like oh if these people come here and they see you know quote-unquote open-air drug market which by the way is pretty much a racist dog was they're gonna be like oh what the fuck is this you know i'm gonna pull out my 1.7 trillion dollars i don't know something like that um, I say all that to say, like, you know, everything's connected. You know what I mean? Skaters, politicians, you know, drug addicts, everything. It's kind of, kind of like The Wire, like the <laughs> whole thesis of The Wire, if you remember that show. Yeah, it is all connected. And it, I think it's interesting that it, it's interestingly timed with APEC. And this project took two months, which is, you know, in uh, city government terms, that's like a blink of an eye. So it, it's really interesting to see that they could do a project like this so fast when properly motivated. Like my other two co-hosts, I am also not an expert in anything pertinent to this conversation, but I, I think that it's it's kind of putting a Band-Aid on, on something, or, or I think it's sweeping things under the rug. And if you're not addressing the root causes of these things that you don't like, like an open air drug market or unhoused folks hanging out there, then like, you're you're just pushing those things to another place you know like people aren't going to just stop stop using drugs because the place they like to use drugs at is no longer available to them so it's i don't know us us skaters benefit from it because we get a skate park that looks actually pretty fun but i don't think it's going to do much for homelessness or drug addiction but i can also see why the city would want to sweep that under the rug because it's embarrassing you know like we are a global superpower here in America, and we let people go unhoused and die in the streets from exposure and drug overdoses and whatever else. You know, it's it's shameful. And yeah, I, I would want to sweep that under the rug, too, if I had a, a bunch of people come into my city. But the sweeping under the rug is not really going to do much in the long term. No, it, def- it definitely isn't. And yeah, the timing with APEC, I mean, we're recording Thursday the 9th, and I think APEC starts on the 11th, and they announced it on the, they opened it on the 7th, like, and like Templeton said, they built this in two months. I've never heard of a city accomplish anything in two months. So it feels definitely like a rushed thing. One thing that I thought of, though, 
kind of basing off of your question earlier, Templeton, is what about what do I think the idea of using skaters to change a space? I think one positive thing that kind of came to mind amongst these challenging issues is I do think that skateboarders are actually a good group of folks to put in charge or put responsibility towards in public spaces. Um, although probably most people would in the city government would disagree. It's just we really care for the places we go and we have a different respect for the environment and oftentimes skateboarding and skateboarders will talk about how you see a city in a different place. You see structures in a different way. And we actually do generally a good job of taking care of those spaces. Obviously there's bad apples in every batch who litter and mess up the spots for everyone else. But generally speaking, skaters are good at keeping care of a place. We even have a spot here for anyone who skated in D.C. before, there's a spot called Malcolm, and there's probably more famously all of the cascading fountains that you can kind of skate as a mini ramp, and then adjacent to that is a mani pad section, and it's a spot in the city that's not very well maintained often, and the skateboarders are ending up being the ones who maintain it. We go and sweep and kind of take care of the space, and it's better for us, but it's also better for all of the folks who just utilize that park for their day to day. And I have to have to shout out my friend, William, um, William Jordan. We call him the head of Malcolm Maintenance. He lives right there and he makes sure everything looks good when we go and skate. And maybe there is some truth to putting skateboarders in a place and hoping that it changes for the better because it builds community and it builds folks who care about the space. But I think that it's just maybe done ill-willed here in San Francisco. And it's unfortunate because it is overshadowing something that is so awesome. Like the obstacles are amazing. The design is amazing. I would skate here every single day. This would just be my local. There's no fence. You can both hang out and skate. There's trees for shade. It kind of has a thing that you want to be there all day. So you skate and chill and skate and chill, which is very different than the traditional skate park where we're locked in fences. There's two benches for the 30 people that are skating there. And you go and you skate for your few hours to practice your tricks and you go home. And I do like that there is a space that is more than that. And I just wish it would have come maybe with um, more sincerity from the city. So one question I kind of wanted to ask you guys is, do you think that this is what our modern day skate plaza is? Um, we see these types of skate parks in Europe a lot where they're like kind of built into the city. Do you think this is kind of what we're going to get? moving forward do you think this is a model that other cities will follow or do you think this is just a symptom of the city government that is trying to put a band-aid over a problem i i kind of think it probably will be something we're going to see more of you know like especially if it's effective at, at moving the undesirables to a different location i think that we could see a lot of it because I, I think it's relatively cheaper and you get to say hey we built a skate park here instead of, hey, we put a bunch of boulders here so no homeless people can live here. You know, it's just like, oh, we, we built this skate park. It just so happens that displaced a bunch of homeless people or drug dealers, and, you know, they don't have to say that out loud. So I, I, I think we could see a lot more of it, which I think would be beneficial to us. And I think that to, to a certain extent, I'm okay with being the broom, you know? Like, as skaters, we've kind of always been in competition with other uh, other folks who seek privacy in public space, I guess you could say, you know, like we've always been in competition with people who want to do things that most people don't want to see. So 
I guess in a, in a a way we're winning. We're winning that competition. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I mean, if you think, even though in San Francisco, just like the reason behind it, we're kind of, you know what I mean? Not really in bad faith or maybe, but maybe not in the best faith. I think it would, it would be sick. Like I skate something like this every day. Like, I mean, like here in Richmond, like at the Richmond Coliseum, they had to like, which is like the big arena here where you would go see like Van Halen, whatever, whatever big band at the time, like a 10,000 seat arena. They built like this, like 12 foot fence around it. It looks horrible. It looks terrible. You know, if they uh, they should I don't know, just blow it up, and build a skate park there, I guess, or build a plaza. I mean, Richmond Richmond isn't the most uh, forward thinking metropolis out there, but hey, you know, fuck it. But you know, it, it's kind of funny with San Francisco. If you're thinking about it, in the '90s and aughts, they were like, get scares out of here, like arrest them, you know, get out of Pier Seven, get out of Embarcadero, like skate stop everything, skate stop every ledge up to like you know neck high. And now they're kind of like, oh, wait a minute, come back here, like you guys aren't so bad kind of funny how that works out yeah i'll bet a lot of those places that got skate stopped became populated with people that uh you know are worse than skaters oh yeah to to their eyes so i don't know serves them right i guess i mean you brought up stadiums uh jason and that's something that i i think about i used to walk through uh the rose quarter which is where uh the blazers play and it's like a dead space most of the time you know like in the daytime when there's not a, a basketball ha- game happening or a concert or something it's just like a dead space and i think it's such a waste i would love it if that wasn't how stadiums were made you know like they should have to share share the space with you know businesses or something that would uh you know use the space in the off hours so there's life there most of the time yeah same thing like uh same here like when i was down in tampa this was like a long years ago I was walking around downtown, like the hockey arena or whatever, like totally dead. No one, nothing around. It was weird. So, yeah, definitely a lot of waste of space going on there. But uh, I think like the politics of like building arenas are another another podcast, another podcast for another day. Yeah, again, something we're not experts in. No. So what are your guys' thoughts then if we think that this type of skate park is a potential for other cities? to adapt to what are you guys thoughts on the i don't remember the name and i was trying to find it before and i couldn't but it's the it's in paris and it's a little skate park plaza that was built on a pre-existing spot um, yes yes and it's got the weird little like hip thingy with all the ledges coming out in the middle yeah yeah, yeah. what are you guys thoughts on on things like that because i think that's where a lot of cities could take this model and in their mind the un- the undesirable is the skateboarder still and they don't like the meshing of public with skateboarders and they just take the spot and replace it with something like that and in turn to the culture and to folks who are using that space might bum them out do you think that's a possibility i mean that was kind of the first thing i thought after contemplating all the other things we've talked about is I feel like this is totally something that we could see happening in every town. Like, oh, this is where all the skateboarders go. Let's just build this like kind of weird pseudo skate park there and and maybe bum some people out in the process. Do you guys think that that would happen? And would that bum you out if it happened to your local spot? Oh, um, like who would be getting bummed out? The skaters or like the, the civilians who use that space? The, the skaters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was that was like if they built like a 
don't know, just like a stupid like like prefab park somewhere. Didn't that happen somewhere? They built like a prefab park. I don't know. Anyway. But well, I think yeah. the issue is like taking an existing spot, which, you know, I'm sure we would all love to skate Le Republique, you know, great ledges, and then plopping a bunch of skate park obstacles in there. And it's like, fuck, we, we had a street spot and now it's a skate park. And that's like a different yeah. feeling. It's a different thing. And, you know, I would be super bummed if that happened to somewhere like yeah, Pulaski. Exactly. Yeah. Know, that oh, would be God, like a tragedy. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully they would consult some local skaters like with this with this thing i saw chico on some news video like ostensibly safe to assume he was brought in as a consultant or something austin confuche did the construction which is fucking awesome shout out that guy so one would think if like the city government went went that way they would consult somebody from the local skate community i would hope so but yeah the, the one thing about bringing this like all over the place is as we've mentioned on this podcast many, many a time, cities and governments in America hate using public space for just hanging out. They hate it. Public space, you know, to, to them, it should only be for, like, working or buying shit. So there's still that to overcome. Yeah, I think uh, Portland has, like, a kind of big problem in that people don't want to go downtown anymore. So all the businesses downtown are kind of, like, struggling and they're kind of blaming So kind of similar issues to san francisco and i think that they might consider something like this like bringing skaters in to kind of uh make things a little less scary to to civilians and again i think i'd be okay with that yeah i don't care listen if there's a good ledge i'm skating the ledge you know what i mean i'm, I'm not really gonna think about it too much yeah yeah i saw some article i said at least two years oh so this is like a test yeah probably interesting yeah that was the vibe i got from my internet research too jason was i saw the two years thing right, right and it was just like oh okay we'll see if they're like we'll see if this goes well and probably make it uninhabitable for anyone to be there realistically right i wonder if that's how they got it fast tracked so quickly they're like this is a temporary thing you know it's not a permanent thing so it doesn't have to go through you know as many regulatory steps you can just do this because it's temporary i'll bet that's part of it well um I think we'd all be stoked to have something like this in our backyard, oh, yeah. which brings us to the end of our show where we talk about what we're stoked on. Jason, what are you stoked on this week? Stoked on Venture Trucks, uh, made in, yes, San Francisco, California. Stoked on a girl skateboards demo right here in Richmond last weekend. Yeah, it was fucking amazing. Got to meet Rick Howard and shit. It, it was crazy. I mean, uh, Griffin Gas Beast demo machine. So, yeah, I was super fucking stoked on that. Uh, as the video game liaison for this podcast, stoked on the new Call of Duty game, Modern Warfare 3, which will be out by the time this podcast drops. And stoked on the video of Veil out of Philadelphia, which is now out in full. Um, Matt Militano's part was in my Quarter Snacks Song of the Year, Song of the Summer, video part of the summer wrap-up. Uh, really different vibe, kind of like an Edgar Allan Poe kind of spooky vibe. Really different from most other shit out there. And super super good video. Yeah, really, dude. Yeah, definitely watch it if you're in the East Coast footage or Philly footage for sure. Uh, Maddie, what are you stoked on this week? I am stoked on a friends skate group called Flow DMV. Shout out Han. They are celebrating their four year anniversary, so we're gonna have a little skate get together at the local skate park on Sunday. They do really cool stuff for the queer and women community here in the greater DMV area and have been doing awesome for years and it's exciting to hit this milestone and I'm really excited to celebrate 
with them on Sunday. And I'm also stoked on, I think I'm saying this right, Evison. Is that how you say the board brand from Japan? That's how I would say it. Yeah, Evison and Passport video. I mean, I think I've said this on the podcast a bunch. I love watching footage from other countries and this kind of hit that itch of telling you what cities they were in and going from both Japan and Australia. And I just thought it was really good. And if you haven't seen it, I'd recommend it. Templeton, what are you soaked on this week? I am soaked on my point and shoot digital camera. Um, I'm kind of treating it like a film camera, like just taking it out and shooting photos and then like not really looking at them. I mean, because for me, the, the fun of photography is taking the photos. Like I don't really care to look at the photos after I shoot them all that much. So I'm just walking around shooting random photos with this little digital camera. It's, it's kind of fun. Maybe I'll share some of those photos, but probably not. That's it for our show this week. Be sure to check out mostlyskateboarding.net for links to the things that we talked about and other show notes. Until next time, you can keep up with us all week online. Maddie, where can the people find you? Uh, they can find me at Front Grinds on Instagram and Twitter. Jason, where can people find you? On Instagram, at Frozen Carbonate on twitter at carbonite1994 and writing stuff for quartersnacks.com something working with people find you you can find me on instagram at mostly skateboarding and on twitter at mostly skateboarding we will see you guys next week thanks